Welcome to another Tyrius Cast. I'm Jim McGregor. And I'm Kevin Crewell. Today we're going to discuss the status of semiconductor AI chips. There was an AI hardware conference last week in San Jose and a number of announcements regarding AI chips. The industry is basically flooding with new chips coming from existing companies and startups alike. So let's start off with the conference. You know, it was a dedicated conference just to hardware AI. So Kevin, can you kind of give us an overview and summary of the key takeaways from the conference? Sure, Jim. This was the first year for the AI Hardware Summit, and it had an amazing amount of companies that attended. The opening keynote was from Mark Tremblay of Microsoft talking about the needs of hyperscalers such as Microsoft for AI acceleration. And he went through a number of factors that pretty much like said, if you want to sell to us, you need to meet these requirements. And that included reliability, security, and programmability. A lot of these AI companies don't talk about those factors. They may talk about programmability, but often they don't talk about security or reliability, which are still key issues that are needed for a hyperscale data center. And the flexibility is still an important issue for Microsoft because research models are still changing for neural nets. And therefore, they need the flexibility to run not just deep neural nets and other similar neural nets we have today, but there could be future neural nets that we don't even imagine today, and those will require a different architecture. So there's definitely a need for this flexibility. And one of the flexible uh, areas that Microsoft's looked at is GPUs and FPGAs but they are open to other architectures. There were a number of those companies. One of the most, the biggest and most well-funded ones is Cerebrus. Andrew Feldman was there presenting, but they are taking on a much bigger role, trying to do training by recreating a architecture that's not just a PCI Express plug-in card. Unfortunately, they didn't provide any detailed information about the actual architecture of what they're working on. But they stress that they have a big team and an experienced team and they're solving hard problems. Well, that's good. Wave Computer was there reinforcing their design and what they're doing. We had a number of smaller companies. Samba Nova was represented by Kunle Ulakudum, who is a Stanford professor. And uh, they have a software-defined hardware approach, which is sort of a little unusual they're still in the early stages of their development. Other companies there included Gear Falcon with their AI processing and memory architecture, Habana, which was a completely unknown company up until this conference that came out of Israel. And their first chip, the HL1000, is sampling today and can handle batch sizes, small batch sizes, and still get very performant results. They were talking about a 15,000 image per second run rate, which was quite impressive. On It's on ResNet 50 inferences. Other interesting companies, Rain uh, Neuromorphics were there, talking about brain scale AI. 
and quantum computing and D-Wave. They've got a quantum computing system that's used by NASA Ames and uh, other locations such as Los Alamos and Denso for scientific uses. And then the conference was wrapped up with NVIDIA after the whole conference there, a bunch of people, a bunch of these companies were taking pot shots at GPUs. And by implication, that's uh, NVIDIA, seeing how AMD is still not as a big a factor. And they came out with, you know, talking about their fifth generation of uh, AI architectures, which is the latest Turing architecture. And they're still king of the hill, and they still have a lot of capabilities, and they still think they're going to stay ahead of the competition. And they've stressed the fact that it's not just G and GPUs in their architecture. They have their DLA, Deep Learning Accelerator, and put out the message that there's not just one solution. There's a collection of processing elements that will be important for AI in the future. One other company I forgot to mention, skipped over, is Horizon Robotics. This is a spin-off from Baidu, and they're focused on autonomous driving and smart city applications. And they focused on just the inference side and they it's pretty much reserved the training side to NVIDIA and ACUDA because they say that that still dominates the training side, and they decided to go after inference where there's a much more open market for small startups. Kevin, it seems like it kind of mimics what's going on in the industry. The vast majority of the work seems to be on the inference side and not on the training side. So were there any guys really focused on the training side, or how many were focused on the training side? Well... Certainly Cerebrus is, GraphCore is, Wave Computer is. Most of those are also talking about both training and inference. The interesting company, Habana, uh, starting off an inference, but they will also, in the second quarter of next year, start sampling a training version of their chip. The approach here, I think the idea here is that it's going to be better if the same architecture is used for both training and inference. Now, that's really not going to be the case in the future because there's going to be ability to move the models more seamlessly between training and inference through a, a third-party standard that's being that's a number of companies are developing but the idea that uh, you want to use the same architecture for both training and inference is I think still a little sticky at the moment yeah I think that's kind of ridiculous because first off most of these guys are using open source frameworks so you can't transfer from one architecture to the next not to mention you know, inference and training are completely different. Once you have that trained model, it's a lot easier to take it to a device. And if you're trying to take it closer to the edge, an edge device, you're not going to be able to use sometimes the same architecture that might be used in a data center for training. Absolutely. But there is a case to be made that having the same architecture means that you can iterate faster by moving the model between uh, inference and training because you got the same architecture using the same processing elements, a, a GPU, so that the, the models work equally well. Just like a, any GPU used for training can be used for inference, just not very efficiently, but it is possible. So there's that flexibility. Still long term, you're right. Uh, I think there's going to be a, a divergence between training and inference. And the inference, because inference is more power sensitive and more latency sensitive than training is. Training can go for a much longer period of time and is much less power sensitive than because it's almost always taking place in a data center. Well, in addition to what was going on at the conference, there were some other announcements last week. One, obviously, was by a company that was there. That was Gear Falcon, a startup. The other one was from Cadence, 
a form of IP that people can use in future processing solutions. Both interesting, both focused on edge computing or edge inference, actually, more specifically. Gear Falcon, you know, a relatively new startup, only been around about one, one and a half years. They've already taped out or apparently taped out three different chip designs. And they have a number of customers they're working with. And their first chip is a matrix using 168 by 168 cores, roughly 28,000 cores, but very, very low power. They're looking at less than 300 milliwatts for 2.8 tops. It's going to be interesting. You know, they're one of the few companies I've seen really focused on, you know, just that really, really low power range, either as, and their first obviously solution is as a chip. It'll be interesting if that remains a separate device or eventually gets integrated into other SOCs. In addition to that, Cadence announced a new addition to their AI family. They started off last year or earlier this year with their vision processing solution and now they've announced the Tensilica DNA 100 processor for deep neural network accelerator. Basically it's an on-chip IP for AI processing. Also focused on very low power, they're targeting less than 200 milliseconds with very low latency, high levels of connectivity and also privacy. Matter of fact, they're already working with MediaTek and Oppo on processing solutions, integrating some of their AI solutions. So it's going to be interesting. They're claiming that they can get 3.5 tops using a 16 nanometer process. And they're also claiming about a 4.7 performance over similar array sizes, as well as a 2.3x in power efficiency over similar arrays. Also note that you know, these are kind of the first generations of these solutions. So it's going to be interesting to see how they morph. One of the questions I had for Gear Falcon was, okay, you have 28,000 cores. How many people can actually use 28,000 cores? And to that point, you know, this is the first chip. This is to get things out in people's hands, get them using it, see what they need. This will probably be just be the first or more likely the test chip leading to a family of products that are more optimized to specific solutions uh, whether that be on power, performance, or just array sizes. Yeah, often, and this is this applied to both Wave Computer and GraphCore and others, we rely heavily on, on the software, the compiler, to manage those many cores and manage the flow and schedule the uh, operations. So that's actually a very important part of any of these solutions. We may talk about chips of performance and power, but without the right level of software and the right software functionality in the tool chain, the, the hardware will be underutilized and, and that will not, you know, not go well. Actually, you know, it's one other company I forgot to mention earlier that was really interesting and that was Mythic. They're doing AI inferencing and focused mostly on video processing, but they're using analog. They're using an analog flash cell to store uh, the neuron weights to get to very low power applications. And they can still do that even in 40 nanometer technology. So not everybody has to be on the bleeding edge of 7 nanometer. Yeah, you're right. They do have probably one of the most interesting architectures using an analog structure rather than using digital circuitry. Um, basically proves the point that, you know, we're still in the learning stages of AI and developing AI solutions. So it's going to be interesting to th see how things develop. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, there's, there's this explosion of different AI chips that are hit the market and... At some point in time, like 
and they may get acquired by Nirvana, was by Intel, or they may get, you know, they may lose their funding over time. They may shut down. There's been a couple of those companies recently. But, you know, there can't be this many companies that will survive the long term. So the question is, who's going to be the survivor? My analogy to this market right now was the graphics chip business in the uh, 1990s. There were tons of companies making graphic chips for PCs and for other applications. And then it whittled down to just two companies, ATI and NVIDIA. And then ATI got bought by AMD. So there's uh, going to be a reckoning at some point in time for this, uh, this market. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. And this is a trend we've seen over the past decade. Pretty much all the startups in semiconductors as of late have a business strategy of being bought. They're looking to be bought by a bigger company, whether it's a Qualcomm or a Broadcom or an Intel or somebody. There's very few of these companies that want to be the next Intel or want to be the next big semiconductor company. And that's kind of hard to see. You know, if you're a, a Google or a Baidu or one of these major you know, companies that's going to be investing in these smaller guys, you know, are you going to bet the company knowing that it's going to be up for sale? So or bet on the company if you know it's going to be up for sale. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think business strategies are also going to play a key role here, as well as funding. You know, who can survive, but also who's got the strategy to be the next major player in the semiconductor market? Yep, that's probably going to be the case. Long term, you need long term funding. The other aspect of these AI functions and you could also use the graphics analogy. Graphics, you know, is a standalone product and for high performance. But part of the graphics functionality got sucked into SOCs. Intel, you know, brought their graphics on board their CPU. AMD did by buying ATI. ARM sells IP, imagination technology sells IP that are rolled into mobile SOCs. So eventually, some of this IP has to be rolled into a larger solution that does require a bigger company to do. Well, especially for edge devices and mobile form factors that are running off battery. That kind of brings us to the outlook. You know, a lot of these first devices are running anywhere from 14 or 16 nanometer up to 28 nanometer for their production node. In some cases, that may be well-targeted, especially for the data center. But if you're targeting edge devices, you know, they're quickly moving towards 10 and 7 nanometer Many of these companies have already indicated that they're targeting future process nodes, especially 7 nanometer. That kind of that appears to be the super node for a lot of these AI chips. And, you know, uh, several of them, like Gear Falcon, like GraphCore, like Wave, now have chips. They've indicated that they now have silicon. But those are first silicon. We don't really expect to see production of a lot of these new solutions until at least 2019. And then an uptake until 2020 or beyond. So this is not, despite the rapid rate of AI, it's still kind of a long haul appeal to get to a point where we have intelligent solutions and anything from edge devices all the way to the, the data center. Yeah, 2019 is going to be a big year for 7 nanometer production. AMD already pre-announced and is sampling, uh, or will be sampling a 7 nanometer version of their Vega GPU, also uh, which will be applicable to uh, machine learning uh, AI applications in the data center. And uh, yet NVIDIA's Turing part is still at 12 nanometer. NVIDIA hasn't announced their 
7 nanometer parts yet. Yeah, 7 nanometer production in 2019 is going to be critical for many of these larger chips especially. So what are your predictions? I mean, who are the winners in this, or who are the leaders, I should say, in the segment so far? Aside from the obvious, NVIDIA still has still the top dog. And that's why everybody was taking pot shots at the AI Hardware Summit at NVIDIA. But I think there's a, definitely an opportunity for AMD to, to make a move, although AMD's been very slow to address this marketplace. Amongst the other vendors, I, it's really hard to tell because we're such an early stage in this game. There's, there's not a lot of hardware generally available yet. And once it gets out there and we get some third-party testing done, then we'll have a better sense of who has the right performance technology and power that meets the needs of the market. And the market is going to be, I think, fractured for a significant period of time. There's going to be a number of companies that are going to go after specific niches, like a Mythic is going after video processing. Uh, another company, ThinkEye, which was also at the Hardware Summit, is going after automotive, as well as the uh, spin-off from Baidu. So there are a number of these companies are already going after specific niches and splitting up their, and instead of going after just the general purpose, inference, data center inference, and data center training. But it's going to be a, an interesting battle. I think, you know, Wave so far looks like it has a, a good head start. GraphCore has working silicon. They brought a board to show, but didn't show any results. And then there's the dark horses like uh, Habana, which have been in stealth and suddenly pop out of nowhere with a uh, working piece of silicon and, uh, and a valve board. So I really don't think we can call it this at this point in time. It's too early. I would agree with you. One, I wouldn't bet against NVIDIA, not just because they're the early leaders in this, but also because they've developed a huge ecosystem around it. So I think that gives them a huge leg up. And they are continually looking at customized or I should say modified architectures for inference and for training, which I think bodes well for them. But there's some very, very interesting stuff. Like you said, anything from the analog with Mythic to the graph core. GraphCore is interesting. That's one architecture that looks like it can scale from edge all the way to the cloud. Gear Falcon, really focused on low power, plus all the IP solutions from companies like Arm, from Cadence, from, you know, uh, even in-house solutions from like Qualcomm. It's going to be interesting to see. I don't think that there is any one-size-fits-all in AI, and I think it's going to be, you know, a decade before some of this all pans out and we start seeing some consistency across some of the segments. We have multiple different software frameworks also in play right now. So that that's still a um, work in progress in terms of, uh, even though TensorFlow from uh, Google has a lot of visibility, you know, there are lots of other frameworks out there that are gaining traction, not just TensorFlow. And the algorithms themselves will adapt over time. And we haven't in this in this conversation, we haven't really even talked about FPGAs and how they can really apply to the inference side and training side, mostly inference side. But they have the flexibility to really adapt to any kind of algorithm, and that's so that's a another whole opportunity for, in the marketplace for vendors like Altera and Xilinx. Well, Tirius Research is going to continue focusing on this. We have services and consulting just on this segment. And on that note, I think we'll wrap another Tirius cast. Tirius Research is a market research and advisory firm that provides custom research and advice to the entire high-tech ecosystem from sensors to the cloud. This includes custom market sizing, product and company competitive analysis, M&A evaluations, 
product and corporate strategic planning, and marketing strategies. For more information about Tirius Research, please visit our website at www.tiriusresearch.com. That's T-I-R-I-A-S research.com. Or contact Jim or myself and keep us on your social media list, either at Tirius Research on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Crewell on Twitter, K-R-E-W-E-L-L. And I'm Tech Strategist, T-E-K Strategist, on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks a lot for joining us in this uh, podcast.